Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. This morning we are going to begin a series, a sermon series entitled Keep Your Eyes on Jesus. And it'll help us to do what we just sang about, and that is to know the story of Jesus and to be able to tell it. And uh, so that's that's kind of the focus that we're going to be taking for the next seven weeks. And uh, I'm excited about sharing this uh, this this message with you with you today, and then these uh, series of messages, Lord willing, uh, for the next few weeks. I ask you a question: Are you an expert in anything? Is there a, is there something that you're skilled at? Something that you're skilled at? Something that you got some knowledge about? Something that you would say, well, yeah, I'm kind of an expert in this. I'm kind of an expert in that. Maybe, you know, hey, it's deer hunting season. We're starting. Maybe you're an expert bow hunter. Maybe you're, that's your thing or, you know, or, or something like that. Maybe some of you ladies or even some of you men, maybe you're an expert in the kitchen. Maybe you, you know, and if you are, you know, y'all know how I am about my lemon icebox pies. And if there's any lemon icebox pie experts in here, I'll be glad to check out your work. Cause just let me know. But, uh, you know, so maybe you're an expert in something. I had a nephew who, um, uh, was in the Marine Corps. I actually had two nephews that were in the Marine Corps. And, um, one of the things about Marines is, is, uh, they have to qualify every Marine, every Marine, no matter what their, uh, their place of service is or anything, every Marine has to qualify on their weapon every year. And uh, so I had two nephews, and one of them, every year that he was in, qualified as an expert. There are three levels, and uh, he qualified as an expert every year, both with his rifle and with a handgun. And uh, 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 his little brother didn't. And so they were always at each other all the time because one of my nephews, and he's, man, he can, he can shoot the eyes out of a gnat. I mean, he is, he's, he's good. And, and so... Uh, but you know, an expert. We need to uh, maybe may, you know. And sometimes people think they're an expert, and then maybe they find out that they're not. You know, or uh, I read a story about. Uh, y'all remember? The, how many of y'all saw the Wizard of Oz movie? Uh, y'all saw the. I, I hated them flying monkeys. You know, I just hated them things. But I never. I, I didn't get to watch the Wizard of Oz very much because it normally came on on Sunday nights, and uh, so I didn't, I didn't get, to, I, I had to be homesick, and occasionally I would be, and I'd get to watch it, and I, I didn't like, again, I didn't like the, the flying monkeys, but uh, the, the lady, there was a lady who was a famous actress in the early 20th century, her name was Billy Burke, and she was actually the good witch in The Wizard of Oz, and uh, so years ago, early 20th century, she was on a transatlantic, fl- uh, uh, not flight, uh, but a transatlantic voyage on a ship coming across the ocean, and she was in the dining room, and there was a man sitting next to her who obviously uh, had a really bad cold. Uh, it was in the pre-COVID days, so it was a cold, not COVID. And uh, so she uh, she saw that he was struggling, having a hard time, uh, you know, going going through a tough time. And and so she leaned over to him and she said, "Are you, are you uncomfortable?" And he said, well, "Yeah, yeah, I'm not feeling well." And she said, "Well, let me tell you, here's exactly what you need to do." She said, you need to go back to your room, and you need to drink a whole lot of orange juice, you need to take a couple of aspirin, you need to get in the bed, and you need to pile on as many blankets as you can find, and you need to just sweat that cold right out. And I know what I'm talking about, because I'm Billy Burke from Hollywood. And he said, well, thank you very much. I'm Dr. Mayo from the Mayo Clinic. And uh, so, you know, sometimes you may think you're an expert until you run into one that truly is. And uh, But here's the question. This is why I'm asking about that. 
Are you an expert on Jesus? Are you an expert on Jesus? How long have you known him? I'm 57 years old. I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old. So I've almost 50 years now that I've had a relationship with Jesus. You would think that at some point over those 50 years, I would, I should, would fully expect that over the course of 50 years, that I'd be a whole lot farther along in my knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is now as a 57-year-old man as I was when I was an eight-year-old kid. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that if I grabbed a microphone and walked around the room, and how, many, how long have you known Jesus? 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, maybe more. And yet some of us would say, you know, even though I've known Jesus that long, I, I would not consider myself to be an expert on Jesus. I'm not sure that's a good thing. In fact, I don't think it's a good thing at all. We should be. If there is anything that we should be experts in, it should be a knowledge of Jesus if you know Christ. And if there's ever a time when our world needs to when Christians need to know what we believe and why we believe it in the world in which we live, this is now. Dr. Howard Hendricks said one time, the world is screaming for answers and Christians are stuttering right now. Are you an expert on Jesus? Christ follower, you should be. We should be. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to think about Jesus out of the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the Gospel of John for the next seven weeks, and we're going to focus on Jesus because I'm of the conviction that we should be experts. Now, look, I'm going to submit to you that we will never get to the... To the end of our knowledge of who Jesus we'll never fully comprehend, never fully understand this side of heaven, everything that we need to know about Jesus. But friends, I want to tell you something. We need to make a commitment that we're going to learn some more about Jesus, more than we know right now. I mean, most of us know he was born in Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and that kind of stuff. We know he came and he lived and he died and died on a cross, went to the grave, resurrected. And so let me tell you something. Now, I'm not making light of that at all because if you're going to know anything about Jesus, you ought to know that, that he's the one who gave his life for you and, gave, and, and, and will save you from your sins. But I, I just want to tell you that I believe that we need to make progress in being a more serious student of Jesus Christ. The word disciple, the Greek word, when I talk about disciples, I'm not just talking about the 12 guys that walked around with Jesus for three years. I'm talking about they were disciples. But Jesus said, the last, last thing he said was, go and make disciples. So that's who we are now. And the Greek word for disciples is methetes, which means student. So for the rest of our lives, you and I are to be in the classroom of God with this as our textbook, learning as much as we can about Jesus. We need to learn who He is. What does it mean to know Him? What does it mean to live for Him? What does it mean to serve Him? For the rest of our lives, we need to do that. And I want to be clear about another thing. We're not just going to work on having more knowledge about Jesus just so we can say, I got a lot of knowledge about Jesus. That's not enough. 
That's not our reason for wanting to gain knowledge of who Christ is and who Jesus is. It'd be just like my nephew going, okay, well, the enemy's attacking now. I got my rifle here beside me. I'm an expert marksman. I could start defending the base or start fighting against the enemy. But, you know, I, I'll, just let them, I'll just let the enemy overrun us. I got all this up here, but I'm not going to put it into action. Dr. Mayo saying, hey, well, you know, I, there's people around me everywhere that are sick, people that need treatment, people that need diagnosis of their illnesses, and I've got knowledge. I can help them. I, but you know what? I'm just going to keep my knowledge to myself, and I'm just going to let, you know, let them get sick and die. You know, as a firefighter, you know, i got knowledge, expertise, been through the fire academy, and so you get to show up at a raging house fire, show up on a massive car wreck and go, you know what, I've got knowledge to know how to cut this car apart and get this guy out and, and treat him with his injuries and stuff like that. But I, you know what, I'm just going to keep my knowledge to myself and I'm just going to let him suffer in that car. be ridiculous, wouldn't it? be beyond ridiculous. And so we're not going to learn knowledge about Christ just so we'll have more knowledge about Christ. We're going to use it and put it into, into action to make a difference in, in our world, and that's what our world needs. That's what our world is crying out for. And the application for this message today is very simply, we need to know about Jesus so we can follow him and obey him. You see, we're going to learn about him, but we're not going to stop with just learning about him. We're going to follow him, and we're going to obey him. So grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, and let's, uh, let's take a look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to focus our attention for today. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I hope you got your Bible with you. And stand, please, as we read the Word of God together. It says here, John writing, the Apostle John, in the beginning was the Word, and you see that the Word, Word, is capitalized for a reason. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And while you got your Bible open, drop down to verse 14 and look at that. And the Word, again capitalized, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask you now by the power of your spirit that you would speak to us and teach us so that then our lives will be changed and we can live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So the best place to start is in the beginning. In the beginning. And that's what we see John writing here in John chapter 1, verse 1, first three words, in the beginning. Let me give you some uh, background and some foundational uh, information about uh, the Gospel of John. First, let's talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. First, uh, we call them the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. So all four of these books tell us the good news about Jesus. That's the focus, the overall focus of all four of these books is the good news. But I want to talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke first, and then I'll jump into the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels. Let me tell you what that means. I'm not trying to impress you with these words of knowledge, but I just want to help you understand, and some of you already know this, but the word synoptic means to see together. 
to see together. So what you have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is you have all three of these guys telling their, basically telling the same story just from their perspective that's a little bit different, all under the leadership and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but just from their unique perspectives. But when you read, and if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know that there's some real similarities between those three books. Uh, all three of them are like a chronological story of Jesus' life. Uh, and and, and, and right, well, let's talk about Matthew. For instance, Matthew, Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. He, he, was, he was called Levi. And, and Matthew, Jesus called Matthew to come follow him. Levi, come follow me. So he left his tax collecting booth and he came and followed Jesus, became one of his disciples. And being a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, his audience was Jewish people. That's who he wrote to. He wrote to help Jewish people understand that this one named Jesus really is the king. He really is the Messiah that all the Old Testament prophecies were talking about. And so that's why in Matthew, you see more references to the Old Testament than any of the other four, uh, other three Gospels. Because Matthew would point back to the Old Testament. That was the Jews' Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament was being lived out right in front of them, and it would be written later. So the, the Jews' Bible was the Old Testament. So Matthew would keep pointing back to the Old Testament and talking about Jesus, he would point back. And remember in the, Matthew chapter 1, there's that long genealogy of, of all the descendants of Jesus. And, and, and so Matthew would keep pointing back to the Old Testament and say, you remember when you know, Isaiah said this? Well, now it's being lived out here. You remember when the prophet said this? Well, now you're seeing it here because here he is. You remember, and so Matthew, trying to help the Jewish people understand that Jesus is the king, he's the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about. Mark Mark, uh, his target, target audience was uh, Roman believers, uh, Gentiles. And so Mark's is the shortest of the four Gospels. It's a very action-packed Gospel. If you go to the Gospel of Mark and start circling, uh, do this, circle the word immediately every time you see it in the Gospel of Mark. Or circle the words at once. Maybe your translation would say at once. Either one, immediately or at once. Go circle that every time you see it. You're going to have a bunch of circles in the Gospel of Mark. Because over and over and over again, Mark would say, immediately Jesus went and did this. At once he went and did this. And then immediately he went and went over here and spoke to these people. Immediately he healed this person. Because Mark was writing to Gentiles. They wouldn't have cared about the genealogy, the uh, Jewish history. So he didn't have the genealogy. Mark jumps right in, just gets in and starts going. And then you got Luke, and Luke was a physician, a doctor. Someone once said that Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is the most beautiful book ever written. Luke would wrote uh, wrote from that um, physician's mindset, that physician's viewpoint, and his focus in his gospel is Jesus showing compassion for those who are the outcasts. And so when you read the Gospel of Luke, you just see how he he. Really, how Jesus really ministered to the, the outcast. I mean, you think about Luke, even when Luke told the story, the one that we read all the time, Luke chapter 2, we'll be reading it here in just a couple of months. It came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And, but Luke tells the story about the shepherds. The shepherds were outcasts, ceremonially unclean, not accepted by the Jewish religious people. Luke talked about them. 
He talked about the outcast. So you got the but, but it's still, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they still are going to all three tell this chronological story. They're all going to kind of walk through Jesus' life and ministry, culminating with his death, burial, and resurrection. But then you got John, the Gospel of John. John was the beloved disciple. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples, and he had three that were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And then in that, in that circle of three, even John apparently had something even more uh, special with Jesus because he was the only one called the beloved disciple. And so John writes, and, and he doesn't give this chronological narrative of Jesus. Now, he tells some of the same accounts and things like that, but his is not just this running right through, just talking about every miracle, everything. John's focus is really found in John 20, verse 31. If you jot that verse down, John 20, 31, where John said, these things are written, this is why, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, that's John's focus. Matthew, Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. Mark, jumping right in. Jesus is doing this action-packed. Look at how Jesus lived his life. Look at what he did. Luke, look how Jesus loved and ministered to outcast people. John said, believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. And that's what he does. And, and that's why we're going to focus on Jesus through the gospel of John for these next few weeks. C.S. Lewis said, look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. <laughs> I love that. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. So, y'all, that's why we're going to be looking at Jesus. For the next seven weeks, that's why we're going to focus on Jesus, because if we will look for him, we will find him. And when we find him, we will find everything else, which means that my life will not be the same. I fully expect and fully believe that at the end of these seven weeks, I will not be the same and that you will not be the same. And this church will not be the same, because when we see Jesus we're going to see everything that we need, and it will change our life. We'll have to, we will be forced to make a decision. Will I believe this, and will I live this? Will my life change as a result of this when we see Jesus? That's why we're going to focus on him in the beginning. So let's talk about Jesus. When you look at the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus is the, the only begotten Son of God, right? I mean, that was the sermon last week. That was a sermon last week. The best news ever. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. The best news ever. So that's from the Gospel of John. You look at the Gospel of John, you know that he's the only begotten son of God. And then Jesus himself gave seven I am statements from uh, through the gospel of John he said i am the i am the the uh, the bread of life i am the light of the world i am the door i am the good shepherd i am the resurrection and the life i am the way the truth and the life i i am i am the vine and so you see jesus himself saying this is who i am and john encapsulates that in his gospel so that we can see jesus and see who he is so who is he? Jesus, number one, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Uh, you see that in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say, but Jesus was God. 
In the beginning. Where's another place you hear those three words? Genesis 1.1. John 1.1 in the beginning. Genesis 1.1 in the beginning. You know why this says it, it says it that way in both places? Because Jesus was in the beginning. He was there. He was in the beginning. Jesus was in. Jesus, the Son of God, was in the beginning. He was there. Go to, you don't have to do this now, but you know the, you know the story. Think about the creation narrative from Genesis chapter 1. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then He started. We see all of the things He began to create, the, the sun and the moon, and separate the, the land from the sea, and began to, the, the, to, to, to create the animals and all the things. And then you get to verse 26 in Genesis 1, 26. comes time for Him to create man. And what does God say? Let, let me make man in my image. Did I quote Genesis 1, 26 just then? What did He say? Let us make man in our image. You know why he said that? You know why God said that? It was because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were there in creation, in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. Jot down Colossians 1, 15-17. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, man, this... This, uh, this statement, this proclamation about who Jesus is from Paul's mouth. Colossians 1, 15-7. Jesus, He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We're talking about Jesus, the eternal Son of God, our own Baptist faith and message makes this statement. The eternal triune God reveals Himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Look, your brain might be hurting a little bit right now trying to figure out the Trinity and just... Be okay with the fact that that's one of those things we're never going to completely understand, and yet it is absolutely in Scripture that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Let me tell you why I'm making such a big deal about this. You need to understand something that's very important. Jesus was not created by God. He was not created by God. He did not become the Son of God, when it was time for Him to be born in Bethlehem. He is and has always been the second person of the Godhead for all eternity. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because there is a false teaching that is rampant in our society. There is a church, a denomination, that stands strongly on this false teaching that I'm going to tell you about right now. There's a very prominent preacher that preaches this false teaching. The false teaching is called modalism. M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. Modalism. Let me tell you why. what that means. 
modalism says that there is only one God. So here's the here's here's where here's how you this is a heresy. Because when I say there is one God, everybody in here goes, yep, that's right, because that is right. There is one God. So there's a little bit of truth in every bit of heresy. To, that's how the enemy works, isn't it? Just a little bit of a little bit of a hook. Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? <laughs> Come on. Just a little bit of a hook. So modalism says there is one God, but that God switches back and forth between different manifestations or modes. So he switches back and from being God the Father, then he switches to being God the Son, then he switches to being God the Holy Spirit. Back before Jesus came, he was God the Father. But then when Jesus came, he switched over to the next mode and he became Jesus, God the Son. Well, after Jesus sent it back to heaven, then the Holy Spirit came, so God swapped over to the next mode and became the Holy Spirit. That is an unbiblical heresy that has to be rejected. The Scripture teaches us that there are three distinct eternal persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they were all three present in creation. They've all three forever and uh, since before the foundation of the earth been in existence and always will be. The modalist would say that God took on the mode of the Son at incarnation instead of God the Son being eternally present since before the foundation of the earth. One person said this in talking about modalism, said that modalism collapses the three person of the Godhead into one person. In modalism, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but He is not simultaneously Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no eternal fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. Rather, at one point in history, God was the Father, then He switched to being the Son, and now He is the Holy Spirit. That is a false teaching that has to be rejected because Jesus is eternal, the Son of God is eternal. Secondly, he's the eternal word. He is eternal, and he's the eternal word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So that's why the word, word is capitalized, because we're talking about Jesus here. That's who we're talking about. And that Greek word is the, is the Greek word logos. I'm not trying to impress you with Greek words and stuff, but it's it's helpful to understand these things. It's the Greek word logos, and that word means message. So, So stay with me and think about this. He's the eternal word. Jesus didn't just come bring the message of salvation. He is the message of salvation. He is the word. He comes to bring the word because he is the word. He is the message of the gospel. And so John used this word logos to communicate this truth. Again, think about the people that were that were reading this, Jewish people. So when John, when they read in the beginning was the word, they would have hearkened back to their Old Testament days, and they would have remembered that the Old Testament Old Testament teaching of how God's will was accomplished, and it was accomplished through His word. The psalmist said in Psalm one hundred seven, verse twenty. He sent out, God sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So they would have heard that and thought, and now Jesus comes and what's Jesus do? <laughs> he heals us and he delivers us from our destruction. 
So the Jews would have connected to that. The Gentiles would have thought from the Greek mindset, the word logos uh, helps them to understand how God bridged the gap between Him and us. Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He came to reconcile us to God, to bridge that gap. And that's exactly so the... And so John didn't just leave them with this. He used the word logos as a starting point to introduce them to Jesus, the eternal living word who came to reveal God to man and to save anyone and everyone who would believe in him. And remember, that's John's main purpose for writing his gospel. So Jesus is eternal. And he's the eternal word and he gives eternal life. Verse 4, in him was life. Jesus is the life giver. Amen. I mean, he came to give. He said that. John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that you may have what? Life and have it more abundantly. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. John used the word life at least 36 times in his gospel. Jesus is all about some life, y'all. John was continually, continually over the course of his gospel, continually driving home the truth that eternal life is found only in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. There's a story in the gospel of John. You remember Lazarus? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus dies, gets sick and dies. Jesus delays a little bit and then shows up. Lazarus is already dead. Martha shows up. Martha, don't we love Martha? There's some Marthas in here. There's some Marthas in here. I'm just telling you. And so Martha shows up and she goes, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Why didn't you get here on time? Just like all of us would have done. Why didn't you get here on time? He wouldn't have died. Jesus looked there and said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the, guess what, Martha? The life just showed up. <laughs> the life is here. So Lazarus, come forth. And I heard an old preacher say one time is that he had to say Lazarus because if he would have just said, come forth, then everybody would have got up and got out of the graves. But he said, Lazarus, come forth because he was the life. He showed up and he gave life. John chapter 14, you know those words. My father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Remember, and he said, if I go there and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then good old Thomas. Don't we love Thomas? One of his disciples, we know Thomas is doubting Thomas, right? After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, hey, Jesus is alive. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I'm not going to believe it until I see his hands, his feet, and see his side. I'm not going to believe it. So Jesus stirs up and goes, here's my hand, here's my feet, here's my side. I believe now. Well, Thomas was right there after Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare, prepare a place for you and come back and get you. And Thomas goes, well, wait a minute, Jesus, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going, man? We don't know. Where you got, how are we going to know the way? How are we going to know the way? And then Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the what? The life. Life. Jesus comes. He's the eternal 
Son of God, the eternal Word of God. He comes to give eternal life. Let me tell you, let me tell you about the word life. Again, two Greek words. There's one Greek word for life. There's the word bios, B-I-O-S, from which we get, you took biology in ninth grade, right? So you took biology, the study of life. You're born and then you die, and between there is life. That's not, what, that's not the word that John used to say in him was life. Because in Jesus, you're not born and you die, and that's the end of it. <laughs> is it? It's the Greek word zoe. It's life as God intends for it to be. Life as God intends for it to be. It's not limited by time. It's not hindered by death. Jesus brings that kind of life. This is the word. In him was life. In him is eternal life. There's nothing that can limit, nothing that can hinder your eternal life, the eternal life that only Jesus gives to those who believe in him. He comes to give that Zoe eternal life to us. Then finally, he shines eternal light. In him was life, and that light was the life of men. That life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, not understood it. You see, John links. He links life with Jesus. And he links light with Jesus. And that's really good. <laughs> because both of those words are words of victory. I mean, Jesus comes to give life, which means we have victory over death. Amen. That means we don't die and go to hell. It means we go, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift that he gives to those who believe in him. So Jesus comes to have we give us life for victory over death. And he comes to shine his light to give us victory over darkness. And it's wonderful. And both of those are foundational truths. Both of those are words of victory. There's victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. I will tell you something. I don't need to, I don't need to convince you that, that this world is filled with darkness. It has grown darker in the hour that you and I have been sitting in this room. Darkness and sin, the darkness of sin, the perversion, the immorality, the wickedness, the evil, whatever other word, distasteful word that you can come up with to describe the darkness is happening now more and more and more. It's infiltrating every life, every home, every family, every community, every school, every nation. Perversion and evil runs rampant right now as more and more people are deceived, deluded, and ultimately destroyed because they're living their lives without Christ and they're walking in darkness. But Jesus, Jesus is our hope because Jesus comes and our hope is found in only, found in the one who shines his eternal light into the darkness. Why? Because he is the light of the world. And he comes and he gives eternal life and he shines eternal light and dispels disperses, gets rid of the darkness of sin in our lives. And His light will always shine. Amen. His light will never be extinguished. His light will never be turned off no matter how hard people try. They've been trying for centuries 
to extinguish the light, and they never will. Never. No matter how the darkness tries to overcome it, but the darkness will never do that. Because His light is eternal. In Him was life, and that light, life was the light of men. His light shines. That's Jesus. He's eternal. He's eternal Word of God. He gives eternal life, and He shines eternal light. So, every sermon is supposed to come to a place where the people sitting out there ask this question when the preacher puts his watch on, and y'all know it's time, almost time. Y'all know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off, right? A a answer it, Randy. Absolutely nothing. That's right. So I knew, I knew you wanted to say it. I saw it. So, um, so here's when you get to this point. This is what's supposed to be happening, other than just kind of getting ready to go home and eat lunch. You're supposed to go. So what? I'm done with the sermon. If I've preached truth, if I've preached truth, if I haven't, then come and take that. Take issue with me. You have the right to do that. You should do that. But if I preach truth, if it is true that Jesus is eternal, that he's the eternal word of God, and that he gives eternal life, and that he shines eternal light, then your response now has to be, so what? What difference is that going to make in my life right now? So here's the question to ask. Number one, do I truly believe this? Do you truly believe this? Do you truly believe this truth? So if you do, the second question for some of you is this, will I receive Jesus now? The one who will give me eternal life, if I will ask and confess my sin and turn my life to him right now, will I receive him right now? And the third question, for those of us that have already done that, the question then is, am I living for him? If I really believe this, that he's the eternal, he's eternal, the eternal word of God, gives eternal life and shines eternal life. The question for Christ followers is, am I living for him? And that's where God, the Holy Spirit, steps in and helps you to either say, yes, I am, or brings conviction, no, I'm not. And then he lets you decide what you're going to do about it. So there you go. So what? What's going to be your response? If you believe, then what will be your response today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us now as we draw this service to a close, Lord, as we come into this time that we call the invitation, Lord, this time that you've told us to do this to give people an opportunity to respond, Lord. God, I pray that you'll move and work and your spirit will draw people to you if they need Christ. Those that are, have wandered away from you, they belong to you, but they're not living for you. God, I pray that you'll draw them back bring conviction, bring whatever needs to happen, comfort, strength, peace right now as we enter this invitation for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.